say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Attention all listeners on this frequency, stand by for an important announcement. Welcome to Medic to Medic Podcast, the weekly podcast for EMS providers, EMS leaders, EMS medical directors, and others involved in or those who have an interest in emergency medical services. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your host, Steve Cohen. Coming from the Cary Air EMS Studios in Cary, North Carolina, it's another episode of Medic the Medic Podcast. You can download this podcast and others at Apple Podcasts, Speaker, Stitcher, and of course Facebook, as well as my website at medictomedicpodcast.com. Today I'm joined by Scarlett Lewis, who is the mother of the six-year-old Jesse Lewis, who was murdered in the first grade classroom at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Connecticut in December 2012 alongside 19 of his classmates. Through all this, we'll hear the story, but through all what happened at Sandy Hook, Scarlett started a a foundation called the Choose Love Enrichment Program, which we're going to get into further into the podcast. But first, I want to wish a happy new year to Scarlett, and welcome to Medic to Medic Podcast. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, it's my pleasure. Well, the first question I really want to ask you is, Tell us about your son, Jesse. Ah, yes, I would love to. Jesse was born, this is the best way I love uh, describing him, 11 pounds. And so uh, actually the first time I saw him, uh, I walked to the nursery and there were a bunch of nurses gathered around the window taking pictures. So I walked up behind the nurses and I said, what are you taking pictures of? And they said, there's this enormous baby who is trying to crawl out of his bassinet. And so there was little Jesse. He literally, like within 24 hours, crawled down to the bottom, you know, kind of snaked his way down, and he was trying to crawl out. So that's a great way of describing Jesse. He was larger than life, uh, so energetic, 
Um, I always ask uh, my audiences if anybody's read um, Owen Meany, the book by John Irving, because little Owen, he always talks in capital letters. Um, that was Jesse, really loud, really exuberant. Um, I, I described him as bouncing off the walls with energy and uh, sometimes misunderstood because he was just so full of life. But he was amazing, just uh, just funny and very protective and uh, just a, just an amazing little guy. And uh, I, I just, he was my little love bug and, uh, and I miss him a lot. Tell us a little about your community. Uh, so I... I've lived in Sandy Hook now for 20 years. Um, Sandy Hook is a borough of Newtown, and uh, and it's you know it's a very I kind of call it pastoral. We're we're smack in the middle of New England, so I would describe us as um, you know stone walls. And uh, I have a small, very small, little uh, horse farm. And, uh, and so it's just a, a very kind of quiet life. Um, I have two boys, and they loved playing outside and uh, riding the horses and, um, you know, digging in the dirt and just kind of being boys and having fun. And uh, it, was a, it, was a, it was a nice life. And you said you've been in, in the Connecticut area for 20 years. Where did you come from and what were you doing before you moved there? Well, I, I've lived in Sandy Hook for 20 years now, um, but I was actually born in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and uh, then moved to Illinois with my family, and then um, Darien, Connecticut. So I really kind of say that I grew up in Darien, Connecticut, middle and high school, and uh, and then went to um, Boston University for uh, school, and then after that, moved back to Arkansas uh, to work in uh, bond trading and investment banking for Alice Walton, who is Sam Walton's daughter of Walmart, and, uh, and then moved back to Connecticut to be closer to my mom and my brothers, and, uh, but had to look kind of <laughs> further and further away from Darianne for something that I could afford, and I found this little horse farm, and I literally thought that I found a piece of heaven here, and uh, and so moved here, and uh, you know we just had a really nice life here until the tragedy. But you know we've we're working our way through that. Well, Scarlett, can you take us back six years ago on that day? Yeah, so I was a single mom, and uh, obviously full time job supporting my family of two boys, and uh, and. That day started off just like any other day, and I, running around, getting ready for work, Jesse's dad uh, picked him up at the end of the driveway, and uh, this is this is uh, one of the moments that I'll cherish, but I walked Jesse out, and uh, I remember turning around to give him a hug, and I noticed that he had written a little message in the frost on the side of my car. Remember, we're in New England, and it's cold here, <laughs> December 14th, he had written, I love you, uh, with his little fingernail on the side of my car, and then he'd drawn hearts in all my windows, and um, I just knew that that was one of life's moments, and I said, uh, you know, just wait right here, I want to get a picture of this, so I ran inside, I got my phone, came out, 
um, positioned him next to the message. I mean, I remember it like it happened yesterday. Took a picture, actually deleted a picture because it was overexposed, and then took a couple more and gave him a big hug and kiss and sent him off. And uh, and that was the last time that I ever saw him. Went to work. You know, it's just a just another day. Someone, a couple people started coming up to my desk and saying, "Hey, I think there was a shooting uh, in your town." And I was like, oh, God, that's horrible, right? And then they came up and they said, hey, I think it was at a school. Oh, my God, worse. And I think, doesn't your son go to Sandy Hook Elementary School? Yes. Well, I think it was at the school. But, you know, it's so funny how, I don't know, I, I, I nothing can ever happen to your child. We heard that a teacher got shot in the foot, and that's horrible. I pictured an angry boyfriend situation. Um, and then uh, heard that the kids were being evacuated and parents were supposed to meet them at this firehouse that's at the end of a cul-de-sac where they go to school. So I left. Uh, I have a 45-minute commute and drove to the school. And I really wasn't panicked until I got to the school. And I had to park about a half a mile away. There were so many cars. And there was so much activity, all these first responders. There were military there. Um it was chaos. And I started to get really nervous. And I started to look around for my son. There were people milling around everywhere and happy reunions going on. And I remember going up to somebody official and saying, um, I'm looking for my son. His name's Jesse Lewis. And they said, well, if you haven't found your child, there's a, there's a list in the back room inside the firehouse. And uh, you put your name down on the list. And I just remember thinking, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not putting my, name, you know, Jesse's name down on the list. I'm going to find him, and we're going to go. Uh, and, of course, I didn't find him. And uh, I remember actually walking. I said, this is ridiculous. I'm going to walk. I'm going to go to the school. So uh, they had it, of course, barricaded, and there were Army men, military men, um, blocking entrance. And I, I went up to one, and I said, I'm, I'm looking for my son, and I am going to the school to get him. <laughs> And he, you know, he said, I can't allow you to go in. You have to go and put your name on the list. And I just, I don't know, something inside me did not want to put his name on the list. So I, uh, his dad was texting with me and I was saying, well, check the daycare. Because um, Jesse would, used to go to a daycare next door. And then we heard, oh, uh, there were a contingent of kids that went to this little yellow house on the left side of the firehouse. Uh, and, and I think, you know, there were people from Jesse's classroom and so I went, knocked on the door, and he said, yeah, I think Jesse was here, but I think he went over to the daycare, and I'm texting Neil, and we can't find him. And then I said, well, go to the hospital. Neil said, I've been calling the hospital, and I, you know, I can't get an answer. I said, then just go to the hospital. You know, I'd, I'll stay here, and, uh, you know, we weren't getting much information. And finally, I did go into that back room. And I remember looking at the sheet, and there were so many names on there, and I had to turn it over, and I wrote Jesse's name on the bottom of the list. But never in a million years did I think that all those people were dead. So we were all supposed to stay in that little room, and I just remember, <clears throat> you know, JT, Jesse's older brother, was at the middle school at the time. And, of course, everybody knows everything. They're texting, reading the news, and he was they were in lockdown. And he said, uh, do you mind if I come and wait with you at the firehouse? I said, of course, come and wait. Because when they find Jesse, they were saying, well, we're, we're re-sweeping the schools. We think kids are hiding. And I thought, well, of course, Jesse's hiding somewhere. And so I said, yeah, come and wait with me. And so my mom lives in town and my stepfather. And they uh, they went to pick JT up and brought him to the firehouse. And 
Uh, still, you know, just no clue really what was going on. So maybe if I had known, I would, I, I definitely would not have had JT come because he was in the middle of just this absolute chaos. And then, you know, throughout the course of the day, people would come up and ask me questions. First responders like, uh, oh, you know, did, do you remember what Jesse was wearing? And uh, for the life of me, I couldn't remember. And they asked me for a photo of him. My phone was dead. I had to go into a police car to charge it to get a recent photo. All these things, obviously, not good signs. Did he have any identifying marks on his body? I'm going, oh, my God. Yeah, he had a mole on his left foot. Was it his right foot? No, it was his left foot. And uh, so it was, you know, and JT's sitting there watching all of this and uh, watching. I, I just became vitally aware at one moment that, you know, my 12-year-old son was watching me uh, and every single um, comment that I made and, and action and, and reaction and response and every word that came out of my mouth. And I thought, wow, I am, I am teaching him right now how to respond to challenges and difficulties all the way up to possibly a, a, a tragic tragedy and trauma in his life. And I better, I better be a good role model because <laughs> he's learning right now. And that really helped me to be strong in the moment. And, uh, and then, you know, a little while later, this, this kind of um, helps you understand the chaos. There was a guy in plain clothes that came over to me um, Somebody had brought out chairs because I, I refused to be in that room. There was so much chaos in that back room and people yelling and screaming. And so we stayed outside. I wanted peace. And, uh, but, but somebody came up to me and, and knelt down at one point and said um, towards later afternoon, uh, sorry, there's no way to say that your son's dead. And by then, I think I had already understood that. I had kind of slowly throughout the day come to terms with that. Um, so it didn't surprise me. But then uh, police came up and said, what did he just say to you? And I said, uh, he, he told me that Jesse was dead. And they said he wasn't supposed to say that. So they apprehend him. And I was just, you know, but by then I knew that that was the truth. And that, you know, that I would have to, I would have to start figuring out what to do next. I am, uh, I'm just, gut-wrenching right that was now a lot of information. no that's okay uh, no no I'm, I'm just uh, I I don't know I can't even fathom what you went through and all the other parents went through and the chaos of the the scene and how strong you were for your other son and and the other components that were all all these people around and you needed some peace you said you realized somewhere before you were told that Jesse was dead. I don't know, how, how did you come to terms with that? And and how did you deal with that right then and there? Um, you know, there, there were some people that criticized the flow of information and the fact that we we were kept waiting for so long for, for really any information about our kids. But for me, I felt like that was a blessing in hindsight because... I slowly came to terms with what happened. It wasn't, 
by the time I was told, I mean, obviously it was still a shock, but I knew. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. And I had gone through this thought process for several hours, um, being asked those questions, knowing that he wasn't there, um, having friends text me, what's going on? And uh, I actually had a friend several months later tell me that before I had even officially been told that I had, she had said uh, any word about Jesse, and I had responded, Jesse's with Jesus. And uh, I don't remember doing that, but I, I, I realized that I was kind of slowly coming to terms on my own. I had this awareness, and, and really I practiced being present um, before Jesse's death. When I was with my boys, I wanted to be with my boys. I had a full-time job. I always felt like I didn't have enough time with them um, because I had a long commute. I worked long hours. And so when I was with them, I wanted to be with them to the point where uh, we didn't have a TV because I didn't want to come home and, and have that be a uh, competition for being with me. And we did a lot of reading. And, uh, you know, an, a lesson that I learned is being present um, with the ones that you love is the best way to live your life with the fewest regrets. Because looking back, I, I have very few regrets. Um, I, I always attempted to be present with the boys. Obviously, I wasn't always. I'm not perfect. But, um, but I was a lot. And, um, I, I, you know, that helped me be aware for the message that morning, I love you, in the frost on the side of the car. I knew that that was one of life's moments. I didn't rush through that, even though I was late. <laughs> and uh, and I tried to be present even at the firehouse. I mean, and, and through the aftermath, I, I knew that this was a sacred time. And uh, it was a terribly painful time. Um, still is, actually. Um, but I, I knew that I wanted to be present for it. I knew that I had somebody tell me this is a time when your child's spirit is very close to you. And uh, I wanted to be present with him. If he was around, I wanted to feel him. I, I wanted to, to know that. Um, you know, we had, uh, you know, we had lots of opportunities to be able to dull the pain in different ways. And uh, for the most part, I didn't do that because I wanted to feel what I was feeling, and and with the feeling of the pain, uh, I, you can also feel the love uh, that was all around me. Um, in, incredible uh, generosity of spirit of of not only the people in Sandy Hook but the whole world. Uh, I I wanted to take that in. But what a blessing because of the public nature of the tragedy. We had people all around the world praying for us, and and it that was just just to 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 be aware of that and and take that in was uh, just such a such a miracle. It was incredible, and I wanted to be present to the benefit of that. 
And, you know, we started receiving right away um, messages of love and, 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 and uh, sympathy and condolences and, and even, even little gifts, most of which, by the way, were cards and little handmade trinkets from kids. <laughs> that was incredible. What an incredible gift for us, but what an amazing lesson for them as well um, to be so, to be guided, to be so courageous, to be uh, with us in that pain and, and practicing compassion uh, and, and giving to us during that time. It was just a, it was such a beautiful thing that uh, it was amazing to be present for. Let's talk about the aftermath when everything was, I guess, when Jesse was uh, buried and all the media is gone. Did you ever have one? Did you ever have, I guess, a breakdown? And how did you start to cope and start to heal? I, you know, I was very uh, aware of trying to be strong for JT. Thank goodness for JT, who was 12 years old at the time. Um, and I'm a single mom, so I, there was nobody else. I mean, we, we, I have my mom here that lives in town and she always helps me, um, because I worked. And so JT has a very strong relationship with her, thank goodness. Um, and my stepfather and I have brothers that live here with their families, not here, but, uh, they lived nearby. Um, and so we, we had a lot of support, but, um, I, 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 you know, it was, understanding that I was the model for JT that really helped me with that being said um, it wasn't that I tried not to show pain or, or be in pain um, I've never felt pain like that and and I you know I think I was maybe in a little bit of shock um, obviously that day and I came home and uh, I knew I had to sleep my father my stepfather handed me this this horse, I call it a horse pill of a sleeping pill. I knew I had to sleep. So JT and I slept in the same bed and I went to bed, uh, not too late and woke up the next morning. And, uh, I will say that it was when I actually got out of bed and I fixed myself a cup of tea and I sat down on the couch and I opened my phone. Um, and Neil, Neil had, um, Jesse's dad had texted me, I think, that he said something like the post eulogized Jesse or there was some, I can't really remember, but there was some, some media event uh, article and he, I, um, I opened that and I saw the number. I opened the article that he had sent me and I saw the headline and it was 26 and that's when it really hit me. Um, you know, I was dealing with my personal loss up until that point. But when I read that article and I realized that it had been 26 people that had been killed, I literally dropped my phone and just lost it. I, I, I hadn't realized the magnitude <clears throat> until that point. And, uh, and that was just absolutely overwhelming to me. And it still is overwhelming to me. Um, it is, it is uh, unbelievable to me that something like that could happen uh, in an elementary school of all places um, to first graders and educators 
um, it's, I still can't wrap my mind around it. And, um, that was, that was one time when I, when I had a, a really, really hard time. And I realized then that the number 26 was too much for me to bear. And so I, I tried to really focus on my personal loss. Uh, it, it was too much for me to focus on the magnitude of the tragedy at that moment. I, I realized I'm going to have to just focus on my loss of Jesse. Um, that's one of the reasons I made the decision to bury him in a, in a little antique cemetery around the corner from my house, um, but by himself. Um, some of the kids are buried uh, in cemeteries together, and, uh, and I knew that I, I wasn't strong enough to go and visit multiple kids. I, I do go and visit them, by the way, um, but when I visit Jesse, I want to come and I want to visit Jesse alone, and uh, it's just so interesting to probably to hear the thought process that goes into thinking of something that is just beyond comprehension to most people. I mean, you never think that you're going to have to be making these decisions. And um, so uh, looking, looking back, sometimes I don't even realize why I made the decisions, and, but they turned out to be relatively good ones for the most part. How's Maybe JT? divinely guided. <laughs> How's JT doing? JT is uh, doing amazingly well. I was, I was really worried about JT because he was understandably very angry after his little brother was murdered. And um, I, I, I knew that I didn't have the skills and tools to help him personally. And he had this incredible opportunity um, through an organization that was helping with the trauma that's in town um, called The Tapping Solution. And he actually was able to Skype with um, orphan genocide survivors from Rwanda. So, you know, we had people coming in and out, and they just, I'm not a person that, that looks for fear in people, <laughs> but I saw it. <laughs> and that's not helpful um, when, you're in a, when you're in no man's land, and you know that people know you're there, and they don't really understand where you are or what to do for you. That's a scary place. And so this Skype with these live, these orphan genocide survivors from Rwanda was incredible for both JT and I. We did it for JT, but um, I was standing there behind him. And to see these young adults now, because the genocide was 20 years ago, um, saying, hey, we heard about what happened to your little brother all the way over here in Rwanda. We um, want you to know that you're going to be okay and you're going to feel joy again. And we want to share our story and how we got through our tragedy. And so listening to these individuals that, you know, I'm thinking these, these people have incredible uh, authenticity because they had been through something worse than we had. And, um, you know, and, and they'd gotten through it, and to hear how they'd gotten through it. And uh, so they were telling JT that, you know, one of them had been eight years old when the neighbors that she had lived next to her whole life macheted through her, her grass hut. 
and proceeded to murder her entire family in front of her. And then they took her by the hair. She's speaking through an interpreter, but we're watching her body language, and she's using her hands as she's speaking, and she said, they took me by the hair, and they slit my throat, and then they buried her in a shallow grave next to the bodies of her family members. She said she had to hide there for days, and uh, because these killers, it was a government-ordered massacre, so they had to make sure that these people on their list were dead until they could feed their own families. And it was just, she uh, found her way into an orphanage and she started talking about feeling uh, when her physical wounds healed, feeling a profound sense of gratitude for having, you know, being in safety for the compassion she was seeing for the little amount of food she was getting. And that she said she felt strengthened her to understand she had to forgive uh, they call them the killers, or, or she might go down the same path of anger and destruction. And then uh, then she said that um, she found meaning in her suffering by using her story to help other people, like she was doing with JT. And uh, this is incredible for JT and I. We, we got off that Skype, and we talked about it, and we kind of did, uh, we followed in her footsteps. So we started writing down things that we were grateful for, we realized, oh my gosh, we actually, have, we still have a lot of things to be grateful for. We have our, our family, our community, bringing warm meals to our door every night for six months, by the way, every night. Um, we had, you know, the love and prayers of the world. We had each other. We had our little farm that we have here and our aminals, as Jesse called them, um, and that we, we both made a commitment to forgive Adam Lanza and, uh, and you know, that was, that was pro- probably one of the most important parts of our healing journey. And then JT started writing in a journal. We had, we had a stack of blank journals that people had sent us. And I remember saying, what are you writing? And, and he said, those kids reached out to help me and I'm going to reach it back out to help them. I'm going to start raising money to send them to college. And he was kind of mapping out a plan that he would start an organization to raise money to reach back out to them. And he went to school the next day. He created an organization called NewtownHelpsRwanda.org. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Started raising money to uh, to send those orphan genocide survivors to university um, because they explained, you know, we're we're just we're now subsistence farmers. We have no running water, no electricity. We loved going to school, and so um, <clears throat> I will say that that was really a turning point for him because he started raising money by selling these bands, you know, the rubber bands, mm-hmm. and um, he raised enough money within a couple of months. To send one, he Skyped back to that group and said, you know, I, I want to tell you all that I've been raising money and I have enough money to send one of you to university for one year, plus an additional amount to help with your family unit because now the orphans live in big family units and they all support, they put money in each of them to support the family unit. And without that support, the family unit falls apart. JT found all this out. He, he raised enough money for one year, and he said, and I make a personal commitment to raise the remaining three years, and I want to do more than that. And I remember thinking, actually, my thought at the time was, oh, my gosh, that's a, that's a lot of work. <laughs> you know, I wonder if he's going to stay with it, right? And, uh, and he did. He not only stuck with it and raised the remaining three years, he raised an additional amount to send another orphan genocide survivor to university, and then he helped, he's now helped uh, build self-sustaining fish ponds for former children soldiers in Uganda. He's built a poultry operation. He's helped countless severely traumatized kids in the United States, and um, and I I realized uh, really early on it's been an incredible process to see how he's healing himself by helping others. And uh, it's it's amazing. He's now um, going to University of Connecticut. He's a freshman. He's majoring in political science. He wants to be a part of the solution. And uh, I'm so incredibly proud of him. And I, I see how he has become stronger. He's learned so much. He's had to grow up really quick. And, um, but through his service, um, he, he is, he is part of the solution and he's, he's incredible. You know, he, he helps me with, uh, the Jesse Lewis Choose Love movement and, uh, you know, we, we kind of work together with that and it's just really been, it's, it's been an amazing journey. I will say that. I mean, and never out of my mind why, why we're doing what we're doing and why we're focusing on what we're focusing. I live with the loss of Jesse every single day, um, every moment of the day. I, I kind of liken the loss of a child to what it must be like losing a limb. Um, it's You're born with it. You're born with this presence, right? And you're supposed to have it. And you lose it. And there's something, I guess, called phantom pain, where you always feel a pain, um, just like it's there, but it's not. And you must always go to use it to grab something and realize um, with 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 mourning uh, and and grief that it's not there. Uh, that's how I feel about Jesse every single day. You know, I work in schools, 
and I love my work. I feel so blessed about it. But it's some sometimes I think, what am I doing? <laughs> I'm going to, you know, I'm I'm working in elementary schools and middle schools, and Jesse should be going to school. And uh, seeing kids Jesse's age, and it's a joy, and it's it's pain as well. Um, that's with me all the time. But you know. And, and I feel Jesse's presence, actually, all the time, too. So there's a, there is a dichotomy there. What a great segue to talk about the Choose Love movement. How did the foundation start? Tell us all about it. I knew very early on, uh, I mean, immediately, that someone that could do something so heinous must have been in a tremendous amount of pain. I was never really angry at Adam Lanza. I, I, I just... I knew that and one of the one of the greatest lessons I've learned in the last six years is that there are really only two kinds of people in this world. And there are good people that obviously your listeners who are heroes, first responders, and there are good people in pain, physically, mentally, and emotionally. And I I knew that he was one of those people. And I, I, when I finally got up the courage to come back to my farmhouse, it was a couple of days after the tragedy, um, I just thought I would never be able to do it, to come back to where I raised Jesse and to see his little boots at the door and his toothbrush by the, by the uh, sink and, you know, all of that. But I wanted to be the one to pick out his clothes for the coffin, and uh, I wanted them to be warm because <laughs> it was December. I came back to the firehouse. I'm sorry, not the firehouse. The uh, my my farmhouse, and um, I got his clothes. And it was on my way back through the kitchen that I saw this message that he had written on our kitchen chalkboard shortly before he died. He wrote three words: nurturing, healing, love. I remember he was six years old. <laughs> he was a little cowboy. Um, those words aren't in any six-year-old vernacular. Certainly not Jesse's. Um, I knew immediately upon seeing that message that if Adam Lanza, the school shooter, the former student of Sandy Hook Elementary School, by the way, uh, and whose mother taught there, had been able to give and receive nurturing, healing love, that the tragedy would never have happened. I knew it. And I knew that that was a, a, a mission that Jesse had given me that I was going to be spending the rest of my life spreading that message. And, uh, and so I, I, I knew that that was a message that I needed to get into schools and into the world. I knew it's where we needed to turn in order to survive and thrive, but I didn't exactly know how to do that. And I was uh, linked up with a doctoral professor at Western Connecticut State University. His name is Dr. Chris Cook. He's the director of the Compassion, Creativity, and Innovation Center there. I invited him over to the house. and never met him before. I said, check out this message that Jesse wrote. I know what it means to me, but is there a greater meaning? meaning? And he went to his office, and he, he, he said, let me, let me um, do some research. I'll call you. He called me within 24 hours, and he said, those three words are in the definition of compassion across all cultures. And together we broke them down, broke down the meaning of each of the words, and we found that it comprised a powerful and profound formula for choosing love in any situation, circumstance, or interaction. This formula 
can lead you to choosing love no matter what's going on in your life. And it is now actually the basis of our Choose Love Enrichment Program, which spans um, from prenatal all the way to communities, um, pre-K through through 12th grade, we have an infant-toddler program, we have an at-home program. Um, at the moment, everything's free on our website. And, um, and, the, and the formula is this, by the way, uh, it starts with courage, because everything starts with courage. Um, courage is the most important character value, because it's the one that underlies all the others. And, um, and we started with courage partly because of Jesse's example of courage on that day. Uh, Jesse actually um, saved nine of his classmates' lives before losing his own at six years old. And uh, we were told that by the first responders within the first couple of days. And, uh, you know, that is the ultimate form of courage, laying down your life for your friends. Um, and, and your listeners know about that kind of courage because they walk into situations every day risking that, um, but, you know, we, we teach the courage, it's the same courage that it takes to be kind <laughs> to somebody who's not being kind to you, to, uh, to tell the truth, to do the right thing, especially when no one's looking, and these are human things, by the way, not just for kids, um, it takes courage to do anything really well, so, uh, so the formula, and our, and our program, by the way, starts with lessons on courage. You can actually learn courage, and there's so many scientific benefits to learning courage. Um, and then nurturing means loving kindness and gratitude. And then uh, forgive, uh, healing literally means forgiveness, and love is compassion in action. So gratitude, we have to remember that it's there's a great saying, I can't remember who said it, but it's gratitude that makes us happy and not happiness that makes us grateful. And, you know, we all have between 70, I think 50 to 70,000 thoughts a day. That's on average as human beings. And we know that 70 to 80% of those thoughts are negative because we all are born also with a negative bias supposed to keep us safe, but it does make us focus on the negative. We know that through the latest neuroscience. So 70 to 80% of our thoughts are negative. That means angry, non-productive, and don't serve us. And if you, if you think about what you think about, you'll realize that that's true. And um, the interesting thing about all those tens of thousands of thoughts that go through our head every day, they go through single file. We only have one thought at a time. We may, we may try to multitask, but literally we can only have one thought at a time. So it's really impossible to have an angry, negative, lower energy thought, and a grateful thought at once. So we call gratitude the great mind shifter. And actually, uh, the whole movement to choose love started at Jesse's funeral when I got up to speak. And it started out in that vein. I said this whole tragedy started with an angry thought in Adam Lanza's head. Um, because everything starts with a thought in our head. Joy starts with a thought. Anger starts with a thought. And I pictured Adam Lanz as a little boy having an angry thought without the tools or nurturing environment to deal with that thought. We, we're all born with a bias towards compassion. And so we have to learn to hate, right? So he had an angry thought. He didn't have the tools or nurturing environment to deal with that thought. And we know that anger, um, every thought we have, wires our brains. It, it impacts us on a cellular level. And so he kept having these angry thoughts and they just built on one another uh, until it created the rage 
that was the um, dominating factor in, in what he did. And the amazing thing is an angry thought can be changed. It's just a thought. If you have the awareness and the skills and tools which we teach in our program, you can, you can be mindful of your thoughts and you can change them. And so I asked my audience, and that wasn't an audience actually that day, it was a congregation. Um, I said, uh, just start thinking about what you think about. And, you know, everybody's been saying, what can, you, what can we do for you? I said, there is something you can do. You can start, just choose one loving thought over an angry thought every single day. I said, by doing that, You'll make yourself feel better. You'll positively impact those around you. Through the ripple effect, you will make this world a safer, more peaceful, and loving place. So everybody went out to the four corners of the world after that, really, and they started calling me, emailing me, texting me about a week later saying that one simple act had completely changed their life. They never really thought about what they thought about. They realized it was true. They had a lot of angry thoughts. And just having that awareness and changing one a day changed the way they lived their life. And that was actually my idea for the movement to choose love. I wanted to be part of the solution. I wanted to de- I knew I'd have to dedicate my life to that. And uh, that was my idea. Then I got educators involved, and they blew the roof off of this. And this is what made this a worldwide movement and this whole program now that's extensive and online and that's transforming and saving people all over the world. So that's gratitude. That's a long way of talking about gratitude. Um, but then forgiveness. Um, healing means forgiveness. And forgiveness is probably the most important part of my journey is the – I didn't know anything about forgiveness. Um, and I what I've learned – um, through my journey is that we don't like to talk about forgiveness. We don't understand it. Even if you go to church, you may not understand. You don't know how to do it. You don't know what it means. You don't know the benefits to you. And um, I chose to forgive early on because I literally did have compassion for Adam. I knew that he had been bullied. I knew he'd been neglected. I knew that he had needs that, that were known, that were not met. And uh, how can you not feel compassion for someone like that? He was in a tremendous amount of pain. Um, you don't do something like that unless you're in a tremendous amount of pain. And you've spent a lifetime being disconnected, isolated, ostracized. And that was Adam Lanza. So I felt compassion for him. You know, people like to blame his mom. Actually, if you if you look at who people are angry at and who they blame, it's Adam Lanza. Of course, he is responsible for doing that, and his mother who gave him the guns. Um, but you know what? Nancy Lanza was a single mom with a special needs child. Um, I've been a single mom. I've tried to get my kids uh, special services. I, I knew exactly what she went through. Maybe not exactly, but similar and, uh, and it's difficult. I know how difficult it is. And, and I really thought about the definition of blame. <laughs> blame is the trying to assign your own pain and responsibility onto somebody else. <laughs> that just doesn't work. Because if it, if that's what we try to do as human beings. If something happens in our life that's bad, we go, whose fault is it, right? Whose fault is it? Who's the bad guy? Because I'm the good guy. But if you look at that, and you look at this situation, if it really was all Nancy Lanza and Adam Lanza's fault, then it would never have happened before, and it would never happen again. But wait a minute. It's now our new normal. This is a new 
normal in America. That can't be their fault. So then you've got to ask, whose fault is it? Well, I realized early on and stood up and said, I take my part of the responsibility for what happened to my son in that school because <laughs> I'm part of this community. I, I don't think my path ever crossed physically with Adam Lanza, but I know how powerful each and every one of us are. And I know when we go out and we make decisions and we treat people a certain way, that has a ripple effect. And until we take responsibility, um, each and every single one of us for what's going on in our country and don't expect somebody else to come in and fix it because I got news for you. There's nobody that's going to come in and do that. <laughs> I think we know that by now. Um, nothing's ever going to change. And so forgiveness, you know, literally forgiving is, is taking your personal power back. That's my new and improved definition. It's, in, in some instances, it's the only way to do that because when you're angry at someone, you're literally giving them power over your thoughts that impact your feelings that then impact your behavior. When you forgive, you cut that cord that attaches you to the person that's hurt you and you say, I'm not going to be your victim. I'm taking responsibility. And that's what I did. I mean, nobody would blame me if... If I told you, God, I wake up every morning and I'm enraged and I'm so angry, but that would negatively impact me physically, mentally, and emotionally. It would negatively impact JT and those around me. I don't want to be another victim. It's a choice if you have the awareness to choose not to be through forgiveness. And it's the only way that I could make that choice. It was such an important part of my journey. And, and I learned so much about it out of necessity. Because I wanted to do it. I didn't want to be a victim. And I, you know, it starts with a choice and then it becomes a process because it might be one that you have to do every day. It doesn't mean that I don't get angry. It doesn't mean that every time Jesse has a birthday, I don't wake up that morning angry. I mean, come on. My son should be here celebrating his birthday with us. He should be here every holiday. What the heck? Right? But I, I take my personal power back only through forgiveness. It's so vitally important. And then love. If we get back to Jesse's message, nurturing, healing, love. Love is compassion in action. There are two components. There's, a, there's an empathetic component where you empathize with somebody or you identify with their pain. But empathy, um, as, as, as your listeners know, is painful. And when you feel somebody else's pain, that lights up, it actually lights up the same receptors in your brain as physical pain. The act of empathy is painful, and there is something called empathy burnout. It's not compassion burnout, as some people call it. It's actually empathy burnout. That's when you, you can only feel somebody else's pain for so long, then you have to turn away. But that's why we call this last character um, value compassion in action, because there's the identifying part, but then there's the action part where you actively do something to help ease another's pain. And there is an incredible amount of research that shows when you actively do something to help ease another's pain, all of that, I say, nurturing, healing, love that you give out comes back to you. And this is, this is through scientific research, we know that this that this is true. It reduces stress. It, it increases your health and your your immune system. There's a 22% reduction in mortality for people who live their lives um, giving like that. And and by the way, that is uh, that refers to all of your listeners. 
who are first responders. This is how they live their life um, is compassion in action. There's so many benefits that you get. And so when you have the courage to practice gratitude and forgiveness and compassion in action, by, by the way, that formula is neuroscientifically accurate. Each one strengthens you uh, neuroscientifically to consider the other. You are choosing love. And that's the basis for our, our program. Um, our program is based on uh, decades of research on social and emotional learning. Um, social emotional learning is, uh, is when you teach kids how to have healthy relationships, how to have meaningful connections, how to manage their emotions, skills and tools for resilience. When kids have those skills and tools, there's research that shows, I mean, it's also common sense, <laughs> but there are decades of research that show that kids get, not only do they get better grades and test scores, um, higher attendance, higher graduation rates, less stress and anxiety, less mental health issues, um, less behavioral issues. It's a statistically effective way to reduce bullying. But later in life, they've now followed, followed these kids all the way into adulthood, and they found these kids have less substance abuse, less mental illness of all kinds, less incarceration, less violence and anger, even less divorce rates. It's like so so amazing. I couldn't believe that this existed and that this wasn't in front of every child. I knew that this would have saved my son's life. Uh, if it were if it were implemented with fidelity in the school, my son would be here. So I dedicated my life to making sure that every child has access to what we know through science is in their best interest. Um, all those things, by the way, getting worse out there. So what we're doing isn't working. And we know through scientific research that providing social and emotional learning to children works. Why wouldn't we do it? And then I re I've realized a lot of things over the last six years. I'm providing this program at no cost right now as long as we can do it um, because every child deserves this chance um, and, and these skills and tools. By the way, they're the same skills and tools that top employers want in their employees and are looking for now over IQ. Um, they're what colleges look for because you can have the grades and test scores to get in, but you really have to have the social and emotional intelligence to stay in and take advantage of everything. Um, it is uh, the only way I know to stop the cycle of generational dysfunction. Dysfunction can go out seven generations in a family. It's all learned behavior. The only way to stop that that I know of, and nobody has ever uh, said anything contrary to this, is through teaching kids these skills and tools. And by the way, it's the number one way to reduce taxes. <laughs> Why, you ask? Because think about how much money we're spending on, on this uh, opioid crisis alone. Tens of billions of dollars to do what we've been doing treating the symptoms, that's not addressing the cause of why it's happening. And it's not, it can't be the solution then if it's not addressing the cause. And uh, social emotional learning is a statistically effective way to reduce and prevent substance abuse. We know it prevents the suffering before it happens. So, you know, and we're talking about safe schools. Everybody's been focusing on external safety measures. And that's Active shooter protocol, door locks, single point entries, arming, not arming school resource officers, and, that, and all of that is very important, obviously. However, none of that addresses the cause of why a child would want to go to a school in the first place and harm themselves or harm others. What does is 
social and emotional learning, teaching kids how to get along, how to manage their emotions, how to be resilient to the issues we know are going to come, cultivate safety from the inside out of every child. And that is why uh, there's a courageous leader in uh, Governor Sununu, Governor uh, Governor Sununu is the governor of New Hampshire, and with along with his director of Homeland Security, they decided to focus their statewide school safety initiative on social-emotional learning. They're doing the external safety measures as well, but they're focusing on social-emotional learning, and they've decided to use our program as the backbone of support in that. They hired a person to get this program into as many schools as possible. It doesn't have to be our program, but it does have to be a comprehensive social-emotional learning program. This is the wave of the future in education because it has to be because nothing else is working. You know, and those that are listening, I would go to your schools and I would say, do you have a social-emotional learning program? And ask what it is. Don't just, not just yes or no, but what's the name of it? And one step further, is it being taught in every classroom, and is it being taught with fidelity? Hey, is there a, a home portion? Is there a way that we can be a part of this as well? Is there a community portion? Because those things are very important too. Everybody needs to be on board, and uh, and this needs to be the culture of a school. It's not just a program. There isn't a beginning or an end. This is this is the culture. This is the vernacular. So it's uh, really important. You can tell that I am. I mean, this is my life. This is what I've dedicated my life to. And I feel very blessed to get up every day and to know that I'm being part of the solution. Sounds like love and forgiveness leads to happiness. And talking to you and listening to you, you're actually doing this. How can my listeners learn more about your foundation? Uh, yes. I, by the way, I live my life through the formula. I really do. I, I, I try to model it. And, and I, I use the formula every single day in my life. I would encourage everyone to go onto our website, jessielewischooselove.org. Jessie spelled J-E-S-S-E-L-E-W-I-S. And there's something for everyone there. If you want to bring this program into your school, we have uh, an ambassador program under the support tab. And there's everything that you need. There are sample letters. There's information, and you can literally download it and walk it into your schools. You can email it. Um, you can learn about our program. We have sample lessons. There is uh, a whole program for families, and uh, you can do this at home. It's video-based. They're short, fun videos. They're activities for your family at home. Um, there's ways for, you know, and this is by popular demand, by the way. I had uh, community members come to me when I'd be in a community and they'd say, hey, how can we get involved? We want to do our part. So there is a community program where business owners, charitable organizations and, and, and orthodontists and banks and downtown business leaders can go on and they can download that program and take a little bit of training and take an oath to choose love and, uh, and they can be part of the solution as well. We all have to take responsibility for what's going on in our society and, uh, and be part of the solution. And this is the way this organization, I created this organization as a way for everyone to come together because, by the way, we're all connected. We're all the exact same as human beings in the want and need to love and be loved. It doesn't matter what political party you're a part of. It doesn't matter how, what you feel about guns or no guns. It, any other sort of 
of difference that we have, perceived difference. We are all the exact same as human beings. Doesn't matter how old we are, doesn't matter where we live, what religion we practice or not. We're all the same in the want and need to love and be loved. That is an essential need. And a lot of what we're seeing is really simply lack of love. And here's this empowering notion that you can choose this for yourself. And here's how you do it. And so everyone can come together based on love and be part of this organization and be part of the solution. Scarlett, it's been my honor and my pleasure to have you on my podcast. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much, Stephen. It's been my honor. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.